Welcome back to the North and Gold podcast. As you can tell from the introduction music, we are down in the dumps going into our last podcast. The Utes are ranked number five in the country, and all they had to do was to beat Oregon, and they'd be in the playoffs. But no, they completely dropped the ball, and I've been in the state of depression ever since. I am Jake, the mighty Alaskan Ute. And I am really, really far away. We are being the most responsible social distancing co-hosts out there. We're 3,000 miles away from each other. My name is Benji. I am Alaskutan on Twitter, currently going by Ben Jeep, because I've got a Jeep now. So Jake's going to talk all about the, the downfall of Utah football. I've moved on from sports altogether. I'll be talking about nothing but Jeeps and Northern Lights. Yeah, you know what? This is this can be a very eclectic podcast because one, it's April. It's literally the middle of the off season of football. It's been months since it ended, but it took us that long to recover from the devastating end to this football season. But as everyone knows, we're going through an upheaval like we've never seen in any of our lifetimes. So we're here for you. We are here to discuss football, to discuss Jeeps, to discuss coronavirus, whatever is on your mind. We're here to soothe your soul. Yeah, and I was just thinking that all by myself should be everybody's theme song right now, you know? Like, we're all hanging out. <laughs> oh, man, I just coughed. Oh, man, that, that snuck up on me, too. You know, it's been... I better get my mask on. Have you been, like, going over, reading up on the symptoms over and over again? I've got them memorized, bro. Because <laughs> it's like, uh, any any type of... Wait a minute, is this a headache? The headache can turn into a <laughs> fever. Oh my gosh, I'm dying! What am I... It's like, strangely, I'm reassuring myself saying, oh, that cough wasn't dry at all. That was a somewhat productive cough. There's <laughs> there's a little bit of phlegm back there. I'm safe. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a crazy, crazy time. Dude, well, I'm, I'm in Bountiful, as you know. I'm the mighty Bountiful Ute. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Davis County has got, I think, over 100 cases now, and I read from the Davis County Health Department that the majority of them are in Bountiful and Centerville. Wow. So like 80 of them. So it's like all around yeah. where I am. So when, when I go out, because as, as you may or may not know, I had a kidney transplant when I was 19, uh-huh. um, so I, I have a compromised immune system, so I'm super worried about getting this. So whenever I do go out, which is very rarely... I make sure I have a mask on, even though everyone says masks don't help. I don't care. It helps me mentally. Yeah. I have yeah, a mask yeah. on, I have gloves on, and I have copious amounts of hand sanitizer because I, it's just, dude, it's the uncertainty is just, is creepy, right? Yeah. So with that, are you, are you continuously taking immunosuppressant drugs to keep the kidney like intact or is it just because that's in your history? Well, they tapered those off. When I first okay. had my transplant, I took like 85 pills a day for mm-hmm. months and months and months, and they slowly tapered them off. One of them was an immunosuppressant, though. Um, but ever, but I, I'm not on that anymore. It's just on, I'm just on the anti-rejection medication gotcha. and uh, the, the, the blood pressure medication. But because I, I took it for so long, my immune system is is a lot weaker than most anyway. So like when they're, during cold season in my house, I will get, I will get it every time, no matter what. Yeah. You know, sometimes it'll be my wife, sometimes the kids. Doesn't matter. If someone in my house gets it, I'm guaranteed to get it. So yeah. I just I gotta be extra careful. Gotcha. Circling back to the masks, um, I was just listening to the es- experts discussing this the other day. So it is beneficial to you if you're wearing it properly. If you have experience and you know, okay, I gotta pinch it around the nose so that there's no airflow coming coming in above the nose, below my eyes, if you're wearing it the right way. I see people Walking out and about, like on Instagram, there was a, a hair person that's like, I'm still working, but I'm being careful. And she's got her mask 
like below her nose above her mouth and i'm like you're you think you're being careful but when people don't use them 100% the right way then their risk goes up because putting the mask on and adjusting it and scratching around it things like that you end up touching your face way more whereas I wear masks all day, all the time, but my hands are usually covered in slobber and blood when I'm working, so I'm not tempted to scratch my face where the mask is touching because I have a slobbery, gross hand. And so, you know, if, if you've got the right, if you can do it right and mentally be in the right spot, it does help you. That being said, the general public at this point in time needs to say, unless I'm, you know, high risk such as yourself, these masks, there's a shortage. You shouldn't go out and grab a bunch of them so that you'll be safe. Someday, they were speculating, likely, we will end up like China. In China, the majority wears them, and people look at you weird if you're out in public not wearing them, and we will likely get to that point. But you can't. But right now, the majority doesn't wear them, so when one person's out wearing them, everyone's like, oh, this person's either weak or sick or you know they should be shunned. And and we need to kind of flip the switch on that and get to the point where we're a little bit more like them. Yeah, I've seen I've seen the, I've seen the rise of people wearing them. When it first started, I wore uh, you know like because I just wore it, and, and a lot of times people give me a look. But now you, I go to the grocery store, I'll see two or three other people wearing them. But dude, it's impossible to find them anywhere. As yeah. uh, my my business that I uh, that I run, we do exams, we do health exams, and so I buy masks and gloves for my doctors. Right? Yeah, yeah. And we are completely out, and there's nowhere to get any anyway. So you're right. For those who, who who don't go out much and aren't compromised probably shouldn't wear them just to save the masks for the the health professionals that need them huh. um, right right now. But I wonder if it's a lot like the old toilet paper situation. People just freaked out and bought everything up because everyone else was. You know? Yeah, yeah. Well, for like all of this year, uh, maybe not starting in uh, February, they taper down. See, I have a, a pretty big office. I've got uh, twelve employees, including myself. And we go through a lot of masks every day. We're probably going through maybe 100 a day. And so we're ordering a lot. And they started limiting what we could order. And so rather than saying, okay, once or twice a month, we're going to put in our huge order for masks, we had to be ordering every two or three days just what they would do just to just to maintain the volume that we use. And then, of course, now we're mostly shut down. We're only seeing emergency patients. And so now I'm I'm going through as an office, maybe four to six masks a day, you know, where it used to be about 100. Um, So the supply we have, we should be able to get by for a while with. But yeah, it's been a while that you they the companies haven't let you order in bulk. Anyway, yeah, man, it's a it's a a crazy, crazy world, man. But uh, everyone, stay safe out there. Do your best to social distance. You know, we're not we're not a political podcast, but we're a common sense podcast for crap's sake. So if you're sick, don't go to work. Stay home. Let's get through this because the last thing we can afford, well. I mean, obviously, health deaths and things is the last thing we can afford. But on a superficial level, last thing we can afford is to lose our college football season, right? Oh, we got to get that baby back. We cannot go two years between college football. I would go freaking nuts, Ren. Yeah, yeah, that would be insane. I, so you're right. We're not political. We are, we're very much a scientific podcast, though, and, and just a general overall fountain of knowledge. In fact, that was our yes. alternate name, you know, when, when you Google North and Goal, like it's AKA fountain of knowledge. That'd be it. In fact, if sports go away, that's, that's, we're rebranding. That's going to be our new name. The fa- <laughs> Thank you we for are. tuning into the fountain of knowledge. 
Uh, Hosted by the two voice of reasons, Jake <laughs> yes. and Benji. Yes. <laughs> no, I. what do you put it at percentage-wise? Is is college football going to be here like normal, not here at all, or somewhere in between? Well, you know what? Obviously, my opinion is just that, my opinion. But I feel like universities need – I mean, I, uh, from what are, the reading I've done, there there will be schools that will, like, fail financially without this college football season because yeah. it is such a revenue cow for everybody. And since it's so far away, I think we still have it in some sort in some sense. I don't think we have just the, hey, everyone go back to normal. Let's all gather. No mat, Everyone get together and let's cram 60,000 people in here and sweating all over each other and blah, blah, blah. I think there'll be some sort of precautions. I'm not sure what. Even if they play in front of empty crowds, there will be some level of college football. They're just—it's just too big of a of a of a, a thing to not to not have. And I think at that point, five months from now, things will have a better handle on how to handle this disease than we do now. Yeah, imagine a world where having a cute small stadium tucked away, nestled in the mountains, would be the advantage. You'd be like, oh, look—they're—they only have. 50,000 empty seats and not 65,000 empty seats. So what a world. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or they say we're going to cap, we're going to cap attendance at 15,000. Right. So mm-hmm. the Aggies like, dude, we can't even get that much mm-hmm. in our stadium to be- begin with, <laughs> let alone cap it there. Oh man. That was when I was a student at Utah state university, there was a time when the football program was very much in jeopardy. We had to, in order to qualify for funding, attendance had to exceed a certain level. It was something like, it might have been something like 10,000 people had to be the average attendance for home games. And it was really like it was on the table on the chopping block saying, hey, you got to do everything you can to get people to show up because otherwise they're going to they're going to ax the program. And uh, it's, it's good to see they bounced back from that a little bit. They've had some good seasons since then. But back in the uh, early 2000s was a very dark time for the Aggies. Oh, bless their hearts. Well, let's let's recap this season, okay? Yes. Because we go into uh, this podcast, as we know, is, is a football-centered podcast. And uh, as of last episode, things were looking amazing for my youths, man. Mm-hmm. They had just been dispatching everybody and uh, had been rolling through the schedule. And, dude, I mean, it wasn't like they were just winning games. Mm-hmm. They were destroying teams, like, over and over and over, defense was ranked number two in the freaking country. Offense was putting up points in the 40s. It was a joy, man. And we were singing Sweet Caroline by mid-third quarter every game, pumping our fists, which, by the way, it's really controversial that, that that song is played for some reason. I don't know why. But this is the first year where they started playing it, and you have people on both sides of the fence. There's people that absolutely hate the Sweet Caroline <laughs> But I, I for some reason I freaking love it when it when when I start pumping my fist, bum bum bum, like it's just awesome, you know. It just pumps me up for some reason, which is weird because it's a slow love song, right? But there's something about it that just gets me pumped up. And when it's playing, you just you're, they're playing it because you're winning, and you just already have that high of winning, and you just feel so good, and that song just gets you going. I love it. You ever been in a stadium where that song's been played? Uh, no, they that kind of trend sort of happened after I moved away from uh, the lower 48, and my attendance in in all sporting events went down once I became an Alaskan. But I saw that that's been something popping up around the country in different places. It'll be Sweet Caroline, or it'll be. Songs like that, you know, in that genre of everybody knows them and and it's easy to get way into the chorus 
and you can just stand up. It doesn't matter if you can sing well or not, you know, and there's, there's a few others, yeah. that, you know, none of them are coming to mind right now, but, uh, but I love it. I love the tradition. I love that you are taking your job as a fan seriously and not under some misguided complex as though you're not the fan, but you're the decider of all things, you know, cause that's the, that's what I see people happening is like get all grumpy and say, well, this doesn't make us look good. You know, it's like, no, come on. You're a fan. Yeah. Your job is to just enjoy it and get into it. You're not the, it doesn't, here's the thing I hate too. And I, I went off on this a few years ago there. I, my university uh, has a demographic that's easy to mock because we're not known for our dancing skills. And really, everybody kind of fits in that category. There's no university you can think of where you're like, oh, they dance really well as a crowd. You know, you, you'd imagine someplace <laughs> down in, I don't know, some other part of the country. No, there's no footage of a whole crowd dancing where you're like, wow, everybody's good. That doesn't exist. But yeah, because BYU is full of people who are just known for not being... <laughs> classically good hip-hop entertaining dancers. You know, it's easy to look at the crowd and be like, look at everybody, look how stupid they are. Do you know what, though? I, I don't even... If you live your life with that kind of awareness of what is the internet going to think of me, you are done with fun. Fun is over for you. And I was watching yeah. a, my son's middle school band concert, and so these kids are like 12 years old, and the high school band's up there playing something fun, and the, and the middle schoolers were all in this section right in front of me, and they all went crazy dancing, and they were like levels upon levels of dorkier than any BYU student section I've ever seen, but they were smiling and they were laughing, and I thought, that is the key to life. I need to be more like them. You just dance, you sing along with Sweet Caroline, you let it loose, and you know, if someone zoomed in on you and you become a never-ending gif that's looped forever on the internet... So be it. Just have fun. Just Dude, live that, life. That's one of my goals. My yeah. one of my goals is to become like a gift that is never ending. But dude, you're right. If you can truly get to the point in life where you truly do not care what other people think about how you're dancing, how you're living, what you're saying, then dude, that's that's true freedom right there. Yeah. See, these are the these are the knowledge nuggets that we bring. <laughs> yes. This is the common sense podcast, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, back back to that. I'm 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 a, I'm about that. So when Sweet Caroline is playing, I am standing. I'm pumping my fist. I'm going nuts because it makes you feel good. And that's what was happening. The youths are making us feel good for week after week after week. As you know. We ended the season eleven and one, which outside of the two, uh, two the Fiesta Bowl and Sugar Bowl years, that was our best regular season eleven and one, which is incredible. And we are up to number five, literally number five in the college football playoff rankings. With uh, and now now some things are starting to lose my mind because I blocked it out because it's been so <laughs> catastrophic. Yeah, but I think it was. Um, I can't remember who was in front of us. Oh, it was it was two, the two SEC teams, Georgia and and LSU. So it's like basically all we had to do was win and we're in because. I mean, there's there's some arguments. Some people say, well, no, Oklahoma would have jumped you. But the fact is they hadn't jumped us. They had four weeks where they could have jumped us, mm -hmm. where we both were winning, and they were actually beating higher-ranked teams than us, but they didn't. So in my heart of hearts, I feel like we would have stayed and been the fourth team in the playoffs. But as we know, we showed up in, in, in Santa Clara. There were... 15,000 Ute fans, maybe 20,000 Ute fans there. It was a really awesome atmosphere. And then the game kicked off, and they just beat us silly. Um, and I, I think a lot of people have you know, a, a worse memory of the game just because of what we lost as far as the big picture. Yeah. But it was actually closer than, than people are remembering. In the fourth quarter, it was still a one-score game. 
I mean, we had the ball at midfield in a one-score game in the fourth quarter, and it you know it was two teams ranked in the top ten, so it was a, two good teams, and we just. The problem is we came out and they punched us in the mouth in the beginning mm-hmm. and we just couldn't recover. We got down 20 nothing. Yeah. And uh, at that point, it's almost impossible to come back from, right? Uh-huh. Uh, and so it was just... It was just the we we by the time we kind of realized what was going on, we were down too far. We we did our made our best effort to make a comeback, made it a one score game, but in the end, Oregon was just too good. As we see, they ended the season with a Rose Bowl win and finished in the top four, I think, ranking. So they were a really really good team, but we just we it's just what we had in front of us exacerbates and magnifies the loss. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I will point out for for BYU listeners who lack empathy and say, I can't relate. This had to have felt somewhat similar to the infamous Las Vegas Bowl, where out of the blue, it's like, wait, what just happened? And there's no way we're going to win this game. And then you come crawling, crawling, crawling back. And by the end, you say, wow, we were so close. We almost did it. Now, I'll point out, obviously, less on the line. You know, the Las Vegas Bowl wasn't going to determine a college freaking football playoff berth. Like, those are heavy, heavy stakes. Uh, but that being said, it's a rivalry game with a little more emotion, and it sure would have been nice to win, but but kind of having it play out. Now, it didn't play out to quite the same extremes of all the points in the first quarter and then all the points the next three quarters and then our whole volleyball score, we would have won kind of rational <laughs> logic afterwards. <laughs> But yeah, to, yep. to have it just be like out of the blue. Oh my, where did that come from? Well, just uh, it was just frustrating. And when they came when they came in this third quarter, we had we scored two touchdowns. Uh, Zach Moss, you know, swing pass, and then a, a beautifully thrown Tyler Huntley pass, thirty eight yards to Samson Nakua over the shoulder, right in the end zone. And at that point, I was like, dude, we're doing this. We're we're making this comeback, and we just couldn't pull it off. We couldn't. Uh, finish what we started or what we had come back to do. You know, we got the ball back. We we went for it on fourth down about the 30-yard line, down one score, didn't get it, and then Oregon had a 70-yard touchdown run, which basically ended the ended any hopes we had. <laughs> um, sorry, I'm laughing because uh, we, I, we everybody and everyone at home can relate. We got kids at home, and I got a two-year-old toddler banging on the door behind me trying to get in. Um, because you know I'm not in the fancy recording studio anymore. I'm at home now, and, and yep, we're doing this from home. We had to we had to leave our our palatial digs, you know, that we yeah. were recording from to our now our home office there. And that's the beauty of this thing is there, like you said, everyone can relate. They've probably been on conference calls with work, yep. where a kid is knocked on the door, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so we're just here to to help people through this difficult time, right? And and we experience what you're experiencing. J- Jake and I are just like you. We're, you know, everyone thinks, oh, mighty podcast hosters. That's pretty, that's powerful. <laughs> but no, we're, we're yeah. a lot like you common people. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to throw this out there, not as my own opinion, because I'm smarter than this. But the narrative out there from people who did not like the University of Utah all year was, well, nobody they played is any good. And then you can look and say, well, they finally played a tough opponent and they got exposed. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that from myself. How do you respond to this hypothetical hater? Well, uh, I mean, I, I, the thing is, that the tables were turned. I'd be throwing the same smack talk out, mm-hmm. you know. So I, I get it where it's coming from. Um, but in my heart of hearts, I don't feel if we were beating teams twenty-seven, twenty-four, thirty-one, thirty, you know, seventeen, fourteen, then maybe that would have a little bit of merit. 
I look at our losses. Our loss to USC was on the road without Zach Moss, mm-hmm. our great, our best player, right? He got injured. We lost by one score. Um, and in fact, one of the reasons we lost was because the backup running back fumbled the ball at the goal line, you know? So you can tangibly point to that game and say, had he been there, that's all, that's a different outcome. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I mean, we, we went 11-1 by destroying teams. Like I said, not winning 17-14 and 24-21, but 49-0, 35-0, holding teams to one touchdown a game or less. Yeah. And, and all of our games that we won after the USC game, we just started rolling, destroying teams. And so I don't buy the merit that we weren't good enough. I think what happened, and it's, I mean, you, it's impossible to say don't pay attention to clippings and don't buy into your own, own hype. But I think, dude, they're 19, 20 year old kids. Yeah. They have the same access to Twitter that we do. They have the They can read Joel Klatt from Fox Sports tweeting, this team's dominant. They're going to the playoffs just like I can. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I think they started to, like, you know what? We've won eight in a row where we have just stepped on the field and destroyed people. And they looked at Oregon. Oregon kind of came in stumbling a little bit. They lost at Arizona State. Mm-hmm. Um, they barely beat Washington State. They barely beat Oregon State. Teams we destroyed, right? And so they probably went in that game thinking, okay, we're number five. We're 11-1. and one. We got the swag. We'll just go out there and just roll this team based on how the, the momentum is. And like I said, by time they realized they, they got punched in the face, they're down 20 to nothing. And it was, it was too late, you know? Yeah. And so... I, I think that we just maybe bought into our hype a little bit, and that can that can be a damning, um, um, you know, painting a damning picture for the coaching staff. I don't care how people react, how they think about that, but the fact is, I think we we came in a little too cocky mm-hmm. um, and and just thought we could roll out, and we we didn't. On top of that, there uh, Julian Blackman, our our safety. Who, who was basically the quarterback of that defense, he tore his ACL early in the game. Mm-hmm. And once that happened, with our two backup safeties in, um, it was just they, they exposed our secondary over the top. They, I don't know, it was just a confluence of events. Yeah. But I, I don't care if people say we're overrated. They can say that all we want. I know when I saw this team play week after week, they were freaking good. And the NFL draft will back that up. We're going to have eight people drafted. And... You just look at the ga- the way the game happened. Yes, it was unfortunate, but it was two top ten teams playing on a neutral side field, and it was a one score game in the fourth quarter. Uh, I don't care if you say we were overrated or not. I don't think we were. I just think we had a bad game, and that's what happened. I, I believe it because the way you'd watch this team all year, the defense to me, uh, they would give up scores quite often on the first drive of the game, and you'd say, "Oh no." This is the game. It all falls apart. And then they dialed it in. Like mentally, they said, all right, this is going to take, we're going to have to dig a little bit deeper. We're going to have to play our hearts out. We're going to have to earn this. And it was lights out the rest of the game. Like more than one occasion, correct me if I'm wrong. It was like four or five games felt like that. Where it's like, whoa, oh no, they just gave up a field goal or they just gave up a touchdown on the very opening drive and then never again. You know, they dialed in. And so I think you're right. I think reading, buying into the hype, saying, all right, we've got this. We've been lights out all year. No one can score on us. We're that good. It, it might come down to the fact that that Arizona State loss with the frozen video of let it, what was it? Let it snow, let it, let it, Oh, let it, Oh, yeah, that's right. Let it, Oh, the O for Oregon. I think someone in the social media department of Oregon cost Utah their chance to the playoffs. If you connect the dots, this is like the butterfly effect. They made that video that, that I think I'm going to yep. blame it on the video. The video really made Arizona state man said, you can't make a video of a duck doing the O sign on our 
field or whatever. So Arizona State stepped up kind of uh, and made Oregon look a lot weaker because at Utah, I mean, we all do this. We all do the transitive win game where we say, oh, well, we beat this time, this team that annihilated that team. So that means we're magnitudes better than that team. I can see, okay, we, we just destroyed Arizona State, who beat this team that we have next. All we have to do is just destroy them, and we're, and we're there. And you don't really regard what their weapons are, what their, I mean, yeah, hangs in. Exactly. I mean, they have, they have an NFL quarterback who's a top 10 pick mm-hmm. and went to the Rose Bowl and, and, and manhandled Wisconsin, who was a top 15 team, right? So they're a really good team, and that's exactly what happened. And it all, you're right, it all comes down to that Let It O video, yeah. and that's what cost us Anything, because if Oregon, even if Oregon wins that game against Arizona State and just barely even, that means it's two one-loss teams in the Pac-12 title game. Number It'd be number four Oregon versus number five Utah, and the winner would have gone to the playoff and the loser to the Rose Bowl. So simply by releasing the Oregon Duck, freezing the Arizona State field, that cost us a, a, a Rose Bowl berth. Yeah. Because we would have got Oregon would have gone to the playoffs, and we would have gone to the Rose Bowl because the Rose Bowl is contractually obligated to take the next highest Pac-12 team, which would have been Utah. So that simply... That social media idiot who put together a <laughs> Let It O video cost us a Rose Bowl appearance, man. It's a good thing we don't have like a big following because there's someone out there that's absolutely nuts that right now is listening and he's so full of rage. He's like, you're right. <laughs> and they're going to go out and exact revenge and like find out where this person lives and be cra- Don't Don't be that guy. I'm glad nobody listens yeah. to us. <laughs> but yeah, yeah how I frustrating know. is that? And then um, it is. let's talk about BYU's conference championship game. Oh, uh, let's talk about the bowl games. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So just, yeah. Ugh. So the Utes lose that stupid game. They lose Julian Blackman season, season destroyed. And then we go to the bowl games and, and, you know, being on the other side now, whereas when I w- when we were in the mountain West, it was really irritating when we'd go against a power five team. Like, say, for example, Alabama <laughs> on the Sugar Bowl. Yes. And all we heard was they didn't want to be there. Yes. And it was so irritating. However, now that the tables <laughs> are turned and, and we're in the Pac-12, I can, I can say it and, and feel like I mean it. Because, dude, no one – I didn't want to watch the game, okay? So you take – I relate how I felt as a fan. I was so down from that Pac-12 championship loss that I barely mustered enough energy to watch the game. Now imagine if you're a player where you've spent the entire offseason working out, you spent the entire summer working out, you t- spent the entire fall game planning watching film for this season, for this goal to go to the Pac-12 championship game, and you lose it. Imagine how let down they are, Yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. It's like such a bubble burst that it doesn't matter. People say, well, if you step on the field, you should play to win, and you probably should, but you know what? All your preparation up to that point, all your motivation, at that point is half a in it, right? You're just not into it. Yeah. And so I think that's what happened in the in the in the Utah's Alamo Bowl is they were so crushed from that Pac-12 championship loss that they just didn't give a crap. And that's not to say they didn't go out there and try to execute because they did. But it's it's you know when you've received bad news, how you kind of go through the motions at work, yeah, or whatever the case is, you're just not the same. You're not the same focus. I honestly think that's what happened is they just were so let down from what could have freaking been to a playoff berth to the Alamo Bowl that they just didn't have it. And so I excuse completely the loss the Alamo Bowl from the players. I'm I'm upset at the coaches for the crap that they prepared and how they handled it. They're professionals. They should be better. But as far as the players go, I get it, man. 
I get why you didn't want to be there and why you probably didn't care. And you look at, I mean, you look at a specific play, Devontae Henry Cole, uh, our backup running back, who actually, well, now, by the way, is, is your running back, right? Yep. He had a swing pass in the flat on third and seven, and he was wide open. Literally, all he had was a linebacker between him and the end zone, which in the linebacker's like 15 yards down the field. He would have outran him to the corner or juked him for a touchdown, and the ball hit off his face mask, mm-hmm. you know? So just little things like that where they just weren't in it, and you could feel it. So you know what? I, I give no thought to the bowl game. They lost to Texas. They they sucked. It doesn't matter. It was just a crap. I mean, it was a crappy ending to see some of our greatest players ever, like Zach Moss, go out like that. But it is what it is. They lost the bowl game. I don't care. I judge the season based on the regular season. So let's talk about your bowl game. Well, I was. There's two statements though that I want to point out that that validate ex- everything you're saying from leadership. Tyler Huntley said something. I'm paraphrasing. We didn't care. We didn't want to be there. What do you remember his exact words? I don't. I, I've 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 mentally shut down. Okay. I, I don't. Rem, I have not rewatched anything. I gave up post game. I, I, I don't remember him saying something. Like that. It was something, or maybe it was something like we didn't practice that hard, or something like that. Like he, in different words, said what you said. You know, yeah, we weren't there mentally. Which you, I mean, he's leadership. If the leadership of the team says that out loud with words, you know, it's it's worse than that even. And then the other thing, I've yeah. never heard Kyle Whittingham say anything remotely like this before. And, and I don't think he meant it the way it sounded. But after the press conference saying something like, well, I'm going to go spend time with my grandkids. They don't care if we won or lost, you know. And it's like, OK, I love him for that because, yeah, I'm all about life is bigger than sports and like family's what matters and all that. Like, yeah, for sure. I agree. But you don't say that with words out loud immediately after being embarrassed in a bowl game, you know, but I thought uh, when he said that, I was like, Oh my goodness, Kyle Whittingham's about to retire. And obviously he's not retired. As far as I've heard, he's still coming back, but it's like, you know, he's an old man now with grandkids. Maybe he doesn't care as much. And I I don't know. It's easy to read too much into those, but, but that's two things that were said. Well, it's easy when you've got literally millions upon millions in your bank account where there's, I mean, he makes over th- over almost $4 billion a year, right? He's been there 20 years as the head, or 15 years as the head coach. So it doesn't matter. He's, he's secure financially, which has got to be a great feeling, knowing no matter what happens, you're fine. So, yeah, he doesn't care. We lost, uh, whatever. And you're right. I think that paints to an overall um, overall preparation standpoint to the team. And it was just, it was crappy. It was bad. They didn't look good. And is what it is, but I've I've moved on yeah. from that. Yeah. So here's going to the BYU game when uh when Jake and I decided we were going to record a uh, special. We'll call this the quarantine special. Uh, we're texting each other and saying, "Yeah, we can break down the bowl games." And and the honest, hundred percent truth here, I responded and said. You're going to have to remind me who BYU played in the bowl game because I'm drawing a blank. And I'm the BYU fan here, but I was like, bowl game? Was it in Boise? Like, who who were we? <laughs> and I just, it took me a minute to remember. And then uh, and then Jake said, no, it was in Hawaii. And, and then just the word Hawaii. Oh, yes. All that's coming. The one shining moment of suckiness for this is where are the freaking cameras? And I know I hate fans that do this. You can look at, like, a whole football game, every minute of play, and you can pick out a million different things that would have made the difference in the game. But when one one is so glaringly obvious as that, the lack of the camera in the end zone on the goal line that would have resulted in a touchdown that was earned by the rules the right way, they did everything right, but they were not rewarded with a touchdown. You look at that and you say, man, 
that's that's just frustrating. But you know what? This football, th- this team for the whole year has been Jekyll and Hyde. They show up when they're called upon. They win big games. They they do amazing things. They make everyone believe in them and say, wow, if they can play with this level again and again and again, like the, the USC game, holy cow, if that team could show up again and again and again, I mean, yeah, you can go ahead and dream big at that point and say, this is a program that can compete with the big boys. I love the independent schedule. There's no one we're afraid of. And then the Toledo version of them shows up and you say, come on, do these guys even know how to put on their equipment? Like, what are these scrubs doing out here? And the problem with this team is they, when they have the opponent, that it is kind of, I guess, similar to what you were saying. If they're not motivated and not digging deep and finding that within them, they get exposed. And so they looked at Hawaii and the same team showed up against Hawaii that showed up against a number of other apparently lesser opponents or weaker opponents. And it should never have been that close. So I can't be seriously mad about the lack of cameras over like resulting in the loss of one touchdown that would have won the game. It should not have been a one score game. And I know going into it, I think BYU was favored by less than seven points. So the experts will say, no, that should have been, but that's just the average BYU either blows people out of the water or they don't show up. So I, I don't know. I, I'm I'm more mad at whatever mental issues this team has going on than I am at ESPN for mailing one camera to the island to say cover this game with your one stupid camera or two cam whatever it was. Yeah, yeah, two two points. One, this is kind of off the beaten path a little bit, but the the, the college football playoff has really ruined every other bowl game, mm-hmm. you know? Because it's like it's a letdown. It's like, okay, well the even the Rose Bowl, it's like, well, it's not the playoff. Every bowl game just kind of sucks now because it's like I don't know. I, I I I would prefer either a full-blown legitimate playoff where every conference gets a guaranteed entrant and then every everyone else has a, a path to where they if they can make it if they do X, you know? Yeah. Like you look at the NBA, you look at every league, it's like if you do X, then your your award is Y, right? right? If you win your division, you're guaranteed the playoffs and every team knows all they have to do is win their way in, but in college football, it's not. It's like it's it's a it's whatever we can get that's a whole other show yeah. we can talk about later yeah. but it's 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 ruined bowl games uh which which suck you know it's it's made them it's made them crappy um and the the second point i was going to make which i totally lost now cuz i went off too long on that tangent um was uh ba- okay so back to yes back to the bowl game um so for those listeners that don't remember it was late in the game and was it Zach Wilson yes. that was the dough for the end zone yep. set that play up and it's, it's what you love and hate about him. He's he's the playmaker. He's a competitor. We've mentioned this before with the uh, an interception where he's trying to do too much, trying to force something, and it costs him the game. And I said, you know, you hate the result, but you love that attitude about him. And it was the same thing. He saw an opening. He ran around to the left side, and he, he had the goal line in sight, and he tried to just do the dive over the top. He gets met. You know, the defender hits his body about his belt buckle and, and puts a shoulder into him. Zach reaches and goes back. And the thing is, your angle you're looking at, you're about a 45-degree angle behind him and, of course, coming from up above. And so from the view that we had, yeah, the ball never crossed the plane. But we're looking from the – or no, 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 that's not it because it would have, it would have like, obviously crossed the plane because we were from behind him. Uh, but the thing is, you look at where his feet were when he launched. His feet left the ground – about the one yard line, he jumps, elevates, progresses towards it, and reaches the ball out as far as he can. Now, unless I'm mistaken, and he's two and a half feet tall, 
just just the mechanics of his body. You'd say, okay, his foot was there, and these are the actions he did. Ergo, that ball was one yard further downfield than it was when he left the ground. Like, it's a no-brainer. You'd say, okay, I've seen yeah. how long his arms are. That's a touchdown. But there was no yep. angle that would say, okay, this is lined up right. There's the ball. It's across the plane. And so I, they botched it. Because I think even though you that- don't see indisputable evidence of the ball crossing the plane... You could use your freaking brain and deduce from external cues and say that is obviously a touchdown. And that's what's so infuriating to the entire fan base is the whole world. Like if you put a gun to their head and say, honest truth, you get this wrong, you're going to die. Should that have been a touchdown or not? There's not a person on earth that's going to say that shouldn't have counted. Yeah, honestly, honestly, two things. One, excellent use of the word ergo. I love it. Two, you're right, dude. You you look logically it was, I mean, all, using your brain, yes, he's in. The problem is is we're so paralyzed with all the rules now where it has to be definition-based. Yeah. Is there, is there undoubtable evidence? And it's like, they're, they're, they're so, it's like the whole catch situation. Jim Rohn put it best. The best way to define a catch, did he catch it? Is a catch a catch? Did he catch it? Yes, look, he caught it. But no, they have all these football rules. Did he take two steps? Did he spin? Did he control it through the... Con- Dude, did he catch the ball or did he not freaking catch the ball? That should be the answer. Same thing with, with this. You look at it from logic point, yeah, he jumped to the one, he went for it, it's, it's a touchdown. But no, we've got all these language in the rules that just convolute everything to be like, well, he, there's no concluding evidence that says d- d- dramatically with his knee on the in the ground, the ball passed, blah, 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 blah. I agree with you. Is that... Were I a fan of the BYU Cougars, I'd have been I'd have been pissed at that whole situation because you hate you hate a game to end based on officiating for sure. You know you hate it. Just let us either win or lose based on our effort, but to have some idiot control it, yeah, that, yeah. that's and I I hate that. Yeah, agreed. but coming back at the end of the day, though, I, as frustrated as I am with that botched call, I'm more frustrated with the team for their <laughs> for their lack of preparation. Because they should have blown these guys out of the water by four touchdowns, you know, and they didn't. And they can. They're capable of it. I just I don't know what to what to expect going forward. Like we've got this coaching staff long term and uh, we're getting some good recruits like we always do. And we're having some people transfer away like we always do. And it's going to be like looking ahead if there is a next season. We're going to win some big games that people will be surprised by, and, and everyone's going to say, wow, these guys are amazing. And it's going to be awesome because we will get airtime on ESPN, and, and the whole world will see us. And Cosmo's going to do some amazing dances, and everything that we embrace as BYU fans, we're going to say, look at us, world. Look at us. This is who we are, and it's going to be awesome. And then we're going to set our expectations way too high, and we're going to be let down because it happens well, every time. That is who we are now. That's our identity. Yeah, I, I want to get to... Next season, that we'll do that in just a minute here. Um, but but you're right. It's uh, it, this. I've never seen a season like BYU had where they had really high highs. Dude, USC was ranked. It's a national brand. You have their scarlet helmets and their yellow pants in your stadium, and you beat them, and everything looks great. And then all of a sudden, Washington comes in and annihilates you. You know, and, yeah. and Washington didn't turn out to be the Washington who they normally are. They they were they were pretty good team. They're eight win team. I'd say they're a good team, right? Uh-huh. But they weren't like Washington playoff team. Right. And so you're right. But then you go to Toledo and USF. And I've never seen a season like this. It is crazy, bro. It was the most crazy season based on game results I've ever seen from a local team in this, yeah, in this market. Yeah, No, it's – it's, I, and, and I'd hate for it to be this tra- – I'd like to think there's more below the surface than what I can see. 
but it almost looks like they'll show up on Monday and say, we got a good team. Let's take it seriously, guys. And they'll go through and they'll they'll be exact in their practices. We talked about this before. The little things, the do you line up directly on the line of scrimmage for the kickoff or do you slack off and you're two and a half feet behind where you should be? And little things, you know, it, it seems to me like there's there's weeks where they'll win a big game and the player afterwards will say, well, we practiced well this week. Like, it's no surprise that we won because we took it yeah, seriously this yeah. week. And then it's like, okay, what's happening on the other weeks? Are they, like, eating yeah. pizza in the back of the film room and just hitting each other I in the nuts that. and I stuff? Hate, like, that's what... Dude, I, I hate... I hate when they say that. Oh, we, we knew we were going to win because we practiced well. Well, if it's that easy, then how about if you're having a week where you're not practicing well, you <laughs> stop and say, hold on, guys. We're practicing bad, and we're not focused. There, ergo, we're not going to win the game on, on Saturday. So if it's that easy, like, oh, we knew we were going to win because we practiced great. Well, freaking practice good during the week then, man. Gosh. I, I agree. Here's, here's one difference that's painful to admit And and again, it's just my observation, but I hate this as a BYU fan. I feel like when someone shows up to play football at the University of Utah, they show up and they say, I'm here because they put guys in the NFL. And I know if I do X, Y, and Z, I will achieve my lifelong dream of playing in the NFL. And of the, I don't know how many people show up each year, like 50 recruits a year, 50 new players, whatever, of that, I would say at least half legitimately think they can make it there, and Utah is what will get them there. I feel like at BYU, there are certain players, and you've seen him. Harvey Longy, he showed up at Utah his freshman year. He transferred, and the, the rumor mill said he had a meeting with Bronco, and he said, I don't want to be running back. I'm, I'm not going to be an NFL running back, but I can play defense in the NFL. So I'm going to go to BYU. I'm going to change position, positions. This is what I want to do. And he, like day one at BYU, he was saying, I'm going to the NFL. And, and it all worked out. Everything's great. He got some NFL playing time. He had his car crash. I think he's still in the league today. You know, he's not like an all-star or anything, but he's still there. But I feel like the players that show up at BYU, there's a lot fewer of them that show up and say, this is my X, Y, and Z, and this is my goal. There's a lot more of them that say, oh, and they're just like me. And, and this isn't... BYU players, if you're listening, I'm not talking down on you because this is me. I grew up idolizing BYU players, and the goal wasn't, like, if I was good at football, it wouldn't have been, I'm going to go play for some NFL team. It was, I'm going to catch a touchdown in Lavelle Edwards Stadium, and everyone's going to cheer for me. And that's the goal. And so I feel like so many more of BYU's team, the attitude, the collective attitude is, we're here, let's enjoy it, we're living our dream, you know, this is it. They're not looking ahead saying, I got to do this, this, and this to make sure I'm getting on everyone's radar, I'm going to make it in the league. There's maybe a dozen players that really think they have a shot from BYU's, you know, 100, whatever they have. Agree or disagree? This is me just thinking, like, speculating, spitballing. No, you know, I mean, I, I don't know enough about the mentality of the BYU players when they show up, but I think based on what I know being an LDS person, um, that BYU is a school a lot of LDS people want to go to. You know, youth in my ward, for example, um, I'm over the youth. They, they've set, a lot of them have set like, oh my gosh, I don't know what I'll do if I don't get into BYU, right? So I think because of the LDS culture, knowing it's an LDS school, that everyone you go to will be there where you can find a wife, you can find a husband, whatever, prepare your life for, you know, a life of LDS discipleship. I think, I think it's more of a, a destination to be at BYU 
Um, and maybe that bleeds over to the football players as well, right? Whereas I look at I look at someone like Jalen Johnson, who just left the U after his junior year. He was a super highly rated recruit, four star. Literally, it came down to Utah, Oklahoma, and USC. And dude, anytime you, you're going over after a player that Oklahoma really wants, he's obviously a player, right? Right. But he had a plan. DJ and PK have talked about this. He had a plan coming in. I will graduate school in three years. I will leave school after three years to declare for the NFL draft. And he did all of that because mm-hmm. that was his his like you said he had a plan to get to the NFL. Whereas you're right, maybe just the I don't know, maybe just the culture of 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 the LDS church and BYU being the place where you got to go to meet your spouse. Blah blah blah. Maybe that contributes to it. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. It, it feels to me like there's the the football team's a big happy family. Kalani's a great guy, full of love to lead him. It seems like it would be a lot of fun to play for BYU, but I just feel like they're having too much fun on the off weeks when they see a weak opponent. I, I really think they're going to be just goofing off, and I don't know. It is frustrating as a fan. It's frustrating to watch, but huh. yeah. Well, let's put a bow on this season. Let's do. Let's let's give our let's give a grade overall grade, offensive grade, defensive grade. Put this season behind us, and then we'll talk a little bit about the future and what we expect and what we hope and changes we see. So I'll, I'll start with the uh, I'll start with Utah. Okay, people are like. I've seen people rate this season a freaking C, like because the way it ended. <laughs> yeah. It's like, are you an idiot? People are just still, and I don't blame them because it was an emotional, huge letdown based on what we were playing for. But anytime you have a football team that wins 11 games, I don't care if they lose their last two or what happened, 11 games, which is the third most we've won all time, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that's like, that's in the history, 100 and whatever your history to have your third most amount of wins, anything less than like a freaking honestly, a minus is embarrassing based on what your history is. But I understand that people are upset the way it ended because of the way it ended. So I personally, I give, and I'm, I'm more rose colored than most. And I understand I give the overall grade an a minus you freaking were on a roll for most of the season. You were destroying teams. You were in a scenario where you were, in a game, and you win that game, you're in the MFing playoffs, right? You win that game. So it's a 50-50 chance against another top 10 team at a neutral site for the playoffs. That's all you can ask for. If you tell anyone before the season started, listen, you'll be in the Pac-12 championship game, and the winner, if you win, you'll go to the playoffs. Everyone would take that, right? Yeah. So yeah, two yeah. top 10 teams at a neutral site with a chance to go to the playoffs. So that that's why I give the season overall an A-. minus disregarding the way it ended because I know it sucked. But offense, we were we've had offenses ranked in the, the 100s for like the last eight years. Our offense was number 48 overall, which is a big improvement. We had our best running back ever. We had a best quarterback we've had since Brian Johnson. And we were lighting up the scoreboard. So I give the offense an A minus and I give the defense an A plus because they were the number two overall rated defense in the country. Number two overall in the country behind Ohio State, right? Yeah. And, dude, that's that's unreal. They were, like you said, they were shutting teams down. You would watch them. Some the, the Teams would score, like you said, on their first or second drive. But after that, it was nothing. It was a thing of beauty to watch. Teams could not move the ball past past midfield, and they were, they were just locked down at every position. Again, the way it ended sucked, but it's the best defense we've ever had ever in the history of Utah football, number two in the country. And uh, so I give the overall defense an A to A+. Plus. I give the overall team an A-, minus, maybe B+, plus because they just sucked on the bowl game. But like I said, I've already dis- dismissed that. So overall, A-, minus, good season. What about yourself? I, well, I'm going to... 
just throw out there for you. I'm I'm going to grade BYU, but but those who would give Utah a lower grade, they're thinking they're thinking of the college way of assessing grades. So in high school, you get credit for all your assignments and tests, and every little thing you do counts. And there's no like final exam stress in high school. You're not like, oh no, it's the final. In college, way more depends on those final exams and midterms. And and so I would say anyone who who grades them less than an A minus, I I agree with you. I think they're wrong, but I think it's because we've been trained and conditioned to say, man, they, Utah showed up with a hangover to their final exam and they crapped the bed when when it counted yep. most, you know. So so yeah, they, and they I can, can drop I can you. get with that. I, I can get with that. I understand their point. I, I however have been just looking back, thinking of memories during the season where they just were so dominant and it was so much fun and i was pumping my fist to sweet caroline that's why i gave my gave him an a minus but if if anyone wants to judge it based on the final exam i i can get with that that's fine so so getting here's where i'm gonna make this uh the saying make sense if you do really well and you're in a conference and you get a whole extra game that's a conference championship game and then you do really well and you get to the playoffs and win and make it to the final playoff game you have a much longer season you could have a 15 game season right if if everything mm-hmm. you get to every game so then you're snapping the ball a lot more so with that in mind that there's more snaps i'm going to say about football it's not the number of snaps you take it's the number of snaps that take your breath away oh man that is so beautiful that is so- <laughs> that is classic Alaska Utah right there, my friend. That is that is that was breathtaking. Thank you. But and I, I'm gonna send send that to Kinko's to make a vinyl a wall vinyl and put that on there. You're gonna put it by all the banners. <laughs> I hope that'd be awesome. Um, no, the, yeah. we, Utah had a lot of breathtaking snaps <laughs> this season, defensively, offensively. If you were to put together a highlight reel, the highlight reel of this season wins against the highlight reel of other seasons. There's a lot of amazing moments, a lot of reason to be happy as a Utah fan. I mean, you, you live for yep. the moments, right? Um, right, yep. Yeah, flipping it to BYU overall, I don't know, a solid B-, minus. I want to say. The only reason it's not worse is is you have the bright spots keeping us up there. This is like doing miserably on all the assignments but then you've done some extra credit and the teacher's like oh you know you're you're really trying bless your heart you're trying really hard let's call it a b minus your parents won't be mad at you for that right so beating usc awesome you know that's something where you can look back on and say and that's the cool thing about the independence era you can look back and say here's all of the different teams we've played here's all of the different locations we've played and you can even make your own list of here's all the different teams we've beat and adding usc to that list i mean that's that's awesome you know that's an accomplishment that's that's worth a a mini banner you know not a big banner but you can hang a little banner saying hey we beat usc um Defensively, I loved Diane Gumwalaku. I I think that guy's got a bright NFL future. I'm excited to follow his career everywhere he goes. Just a playmaker. And it, even if it's just special teams, he's going to do some pretty cool special teams things. But I think he's going to work his way into a regular rotation, into possibly an NFL starting position. He's just a playmaker, and it was so fun to watch him all year, everything he did. Uh, pretty happy with Kairos Tonga and the way his season kind of, I mean, he, I still think he has untapped potential and I think that's what he thinks too. And I think that's why he's coming back, which I'm thrilled about. I think we all expected him to be gone after this season. So the fact that we have him again next year, I'm excited about that, but, um, you know, and that's really it. I know I'm, I'm someone's going to point out someone else that had a great season that I'm just not thinking of right now, but but my, uh, what is it, April 2nd, first thing in the morning, let's talk football brain is just saying those two guys, and, and that's the end of the list. Yeah, okay. Well, so season's behind us. We've moved on. 
Now we're moving forward to next season. Okay, so obviously, I, I'm not expecting us to like nail what next season's gonna look like. Just a, just a basic, you know, forecast of what what uh, what next season's gonna look like for Utah. A lot of people like to point to, oh, you lost this, which we did, man. We lost our our number one running back of all time, one of our best quarterbacks in the last 20 years. We lost most of our defense, um, our entire. Three fourths of our defensive line, both our linebackers, well, one of our linebackers, sorry, and then all of our secondary. So we lost a ton on defense. But I like to tell people it's not about who you lose, it's about who you have there, right? right. And I think the guys behind them are talented. Just because they haven't played yet doesn't mean they're not good. They just were behind senior class players who had been there longer, right? Yeah. So I think. We've recruited really well on defense, um, starting with we have a super stud cornerback, true freshman coming in, who was literally the highest rated cornerback that Ohio State had committed under them, right? Mm-hmm. And we're talking about Ohio State, who, who recruits in the top one or two teams in the country, right? He was their third highest rated recruit and their highest rated cornerback, and he flipped to Utah at the end. His name is Clark Phillips, mm-hmm. just a, a four-star stud out of California. He's going to come in. He's going to compete for time right away. Mm-hmm. Um we have a couple other true freshmen, a couple defensive ends out of Utah, Xavier Carlton and Van Fillinger, who will who probably compete for time. The defense is going to be really young and inexperienced, which could cost us some games, but they're still super, super talented. So I'm not worried about the defense. I think they'll eventually get there. And then on offense, we have everyone back, starting with our offensive coordinator, which, as everyone knows, is like a yearly replacement, you know, mm-hmm. under Kyle Whittingham. Ludwig's back, who gave us – you look at the Kyle Whittingham era – you rank all his offenses in the 15 years he's been head coach. The top four offenses under Kyle Whittingham have all been the four years Andy Ludwig's been the offensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. He's just – he's good. He's really good. He's, he knows how to, to get the best out of his talent. So he's back. You have four of our five offensive linemen back um, and some some young dudes coming in to bolster them. The offensive line ended the season pretty crappy against, against Oregon and Texas. But as we know, the number one stat for offensive linemen is – starts together coming back and we have a lot of starts coming back so i think our offensive line is gonna be improved we have all of our receivers back brian thompson had a great year we have elder covey back from his red shirt year uh who should be healthy jalen dixon samson nakua all of our all of our receivers back we have our two backup running backs back who backed up zach moss both were i mean jordan wilmore was highly highly rated out of high school committed to usc at one point He's going to compete for the starting job. Devin Brumfield showed well on backup. So we're going to be fine running back. The question is, when it comes to offense, is who's slinging the rock? The good news is we have two awesome dudes to choose from, one of which is an SEC transfer fifth-year starter, Jake Bentley, who started 33 games in the SEC, so he's super experienced. And the other guy was a transfer from Texas. So my opinion is Jake Bentley is going to be the starter because you don't grad transfer after starting – your freshman, sophomore, junior year at an SEC school to Utah, unless you're pretty confident you're going to be the starter for the for your senior year, right? Well, and um, and I would even so, say, do you feel like he has some sort of a a commitment from the coaching staff? Because that's that's one of those things. If I'm in his shoes, I'd say, yeah, yeah, I'll show interest in you guys. I'll come take a campus visit. I'll come look around if you make it worth my time. Yeah, you'll you'll hear the coaches say, "Oh, no one's promised anything. It's compete, compete." But I wouldn't be surprised if there was a wink, wink, nod, nod type of thing. Right. I mean, Andy Ludwig recruited him when he was the offensive coordinator at Vanderbilt. Yeah. So that's where the connection comes from. Uh, so he knows Ludwig's offense. Um, and I, I think, yeah, I think it's going to be Bentley based on 
the unwritten rules right. of this type of thing, you know? Yeah. Um, because, I mean, he is, dude, he's, he's thrown for 7,500 yards in the SEC against good defenses. He's got a ton of starts, a ton of experience. You don't just leave your senior starting job to go somewhere else, like you said, unless you have some sort of right. assurances. So, in my opinion, the basement, the floor is that, is a fifth-year senior SEC quarterback starting but if Cam Rising, the transfer from Texas, beats him out, that means he, in my opinion, had to be over the top better than him to like just make it a no-brainer, right? Right. To pull the trigger and start with him. So in my opinion, whoever starts, we're going to have a good quarterback there. So I think our offense is, despite losing our best running back ever, despite losing one of our better quarterbacks, I think we're going to be equal, if not better, to last year's offense as a unit because of more experience on the line, more experience, you know, the receivers coming back, more, you know, the running backs getting more. I just think, I just think we're going to have a better offense. It's not like we were, I mean, we were 48th right in the off in the country. Anyway, that's middle of the road. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's not like we're, it's not like we're trying to be like replace a top 10 offense. So I think, I think we could be at least that if not better. So I think next year we surprise a lot of people and we compete for the South to three Pete as South champs. And it's going to come down to us, USC or Arizona state. And in my biased red goggle mind, I think we pull it out. But I also could see Arizona State or USC winning it. But I, I still, I still foresee a nine-win season next year. I, I will say for Utah, I will, we will find ourselves at the end of next season with me consoling you, saying, "No, Jake, look how far we've come. Look at the fact that not being a Pac-12 South champ is a disappointment. Like, how great is it that you're that you're mad That's that you didn't round. win something? You know, because because I think it will. I think everybody's expecting a, a drop off." And I think it would be foolish not to because, as you mentioned, the number two defense in the country, you're not going to have on either side of the ball the number two defense twice. Not even the – like, I do Ohio State have that year after year? I mean, it's it's hard to do year after year. So yeah, – and that's right. for the blue blood, like, elite programs. Utah's pretty good, but they're not quite there yet. So I, it's impossible for Utah to just step up and say, we've replaced everybody who's just as awesome and we're going to be just as good. There's going to be a little bit of a drop-off. How far it is as I think where everybody's going to disagree. But I, I could see them being in the mix with the last two or three games of Pac-12 play that they're still in the hunt. Uh, but I don't know. I, I feel like uh, – the trajectory a lot of the other schools are on, like the Arizona State, they're going to be getting better than they were last year. You know, they're they're going to be competing for it. And uh, at USC, obviously, they're good year after year after year. So uh, it may come down to those three. And, and it wouldn't surprise me to have Utah be the third best Pac-12 South team behind those two. And that's not a bad thing. You know, that's not me talking crap on the program. That That's just that's where no. they are. And that's not that's not unreasonable at all. That's logical, because like you said, USC and Arizona State both were eight win teams this year, so they were they were good teams. They weren't great teams; they're good teams. But they both had freshman quarterbacks starting, mm-hmm. and they both return a lot. So yeah, I I honestly I could see us being if I if if you were to put a gun to your head like you said earlier, you know Utah third seems pretty logical. My 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 red blood my red goggled you know fandom is what what propels me to say first just based on cuz that's what that's how where I am yeah, yeah, but yeah. you're right you know what third third is probably the most logical based on who everyone has back yes Hilton returns and he's not the greatest coach but he's won a conference title under, with those guys you know in at, at USC um and he's got a, an incredible quarterback coming back Slovis had an incredible freshman year and in the bowl game he was like i think he had 300 yards literally before halftime and like he's he's really good and so you 
USC is going to be really good. Arizona State's going to be really good. It's going to in the South. It's going to come down to those three: Utah, Arizona State, and uh, USC. And I could see us finishing third. The other rest of the South: Colorado sucks. Arizona sucks. UCLA they're always overrated. So yeah, uh, dude, I have no. Pro- if someone says Utah third, I have no problem with that because it's pretty logical. Yeah, yeah. Flipping to BYU, I uh, I think there is a little bit of concern out there that. Uh, it, there's a lot that hangs in the balance of will sporting events be able to to be held by late August, early September, and and even more than that, will teams be able to have practices? I mean, you got to have five six weeks of uh, fall camp before game one, right? And so one of the speculations out there, uh, the experts are saying this thing will peak in May or in June. Now, if June is the deadliest month for our country, that means May will be like July. That means April will be like August. That means this uh, past March that we just got out of when everything canceled will be like September. And so you can say, okay, if that's true, that that's the curve we're on and everything's... And and obviously that's a big if. We don't know that for sure. But you'd say, okay, let's have people show up for fall camp late September and start practicing. Okay, when do you kick off the season? You know, and so that, and I don't want to get like way off track. I'd love to talk about the players and everything, but for BYU, this is more of a concern than for other programs. And the reason is everybody else has that conference safety net of we'll just get rid of all the non conference and we'll abbreviate the conference play. We'll find a way to make it work. Well, there goes all of BYU's good games, all of their money making games. I mean, they're going to be left A with no conference to say, let's like just play these these, uh, few games and call it good. And then B, everybody else saying we're only paying conference games. You know, what do you do? Even if you said, okay, let's just get rid of September, October. We're going to be playing nothing but garbage teams. And so this is a very real concern for BYU going into the season, which has nothing to do with football, but could completely shape everything. So let's just say in our optimistic world that everything is normal. Uh, it's just what I said. That they've got some really big names on the program. You look at the schedule weeks one through the end of it, there's maybe one or two. I don't have a schedule up in front of me. There's a, It's a good schedule, and it'd be a good schedule for a good BYU team. And the, uh, the unreasonable part of me that's saying, okay, if their team's identity is we look at the week ahead and say this will be a tough game, so we're going to practice well, Maybe this is what it takes to make them go undefeated. Look at every game and say this is a hard game and practice hard. You know, don't be goofing off in the in the film room, and uh, and maybe they'll surprise people. And I would love for that. I would love if they stepped up to the competition week after week after week after week. I don't think it's crazy to think that that's possible, but it's going to be a hard schedule. Dude, it's I haven't. I just pulled it up. Um, it starts off. It it is. It's a good schedule, but even starts off even harder because you start at Utah. We know the rivalry game. Yeah. We know the history. Don't need to go into that. Then you have Michigan State come to your stadium. Who they're good, they they've been not the Michigan State of of the past, but they're still Michigan State. And then you go to Arizona State, who we talked about is going to be a good team, and to Minnesota, who was also flirting with the playoffs this year, and they have their coaching yeah. staff back. So those four games, you start out out of the gate right. with a really really tough schedule. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, looking beyond that, Utah State always makes it a tough game because there's emotion there. <laughs> Missouri, you got P5, SEC. Then Houston, who's among the elite G5s. You can't overlook them. Northern Illinois has surprised teams from this state before, made it closer than it should have been. 
Boise State, they're going to be looking for revenge because we just destroyed. That was the other bright spot of last year. Destroying Boise State was so, oh, that felt so good. San Diego State hates us. They hated us forever. North Alabama, they're just a little bit north of Alabama. You can't overlook them because Alabama, what? right? And then ending with the Stanford. Crimson Lions. <laughs> the, the Crimson Lions, right? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a decent schedule. I would love for BYU to get it together, have everything click, say, all right. Here's the thing with BYU. I can't name names and say this guy's going to be good, that guy's going to be good, other than Kyrus Tonga and then, of course, Zach Wilson with another year under his belt, more experience, more reps. He's a guy who takes his job seriously. He's a guy I don't think he'll end up in the pros, but I think he's going to work his butt off as though he's going to the pros. Like, I love his work ethic. So, you know, there's, there's bright spots. But then you got to zoom out and just say the logistics of it. BYU, they've, they're recruiting everything is this very complex machine that has to factor in missionaries leaving, missionaries coming home, and they've got a logjam of a lot more people coming home because everybody's coming home. So they're going to have their pick of the litter. They're going to look around and say, all right, we got to make a decision here. It's going to be a tough decision. These are our guys we keep on scholarship. These are our guys we try to say, okay, you're now a preferred walk-on. And then here's our group of guys that we're going to just redshirt as much as we can to try and smooth out the uh, the weird influx of returning missionaries. So they should be pretty talented uh, based on that that factor of it, You know that aspect of saying we get to pick all of our recruits, we get to pick the best ones now. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something that might surprise you. The, okay. I think we beat Utah. Benjamin, hey, I know this. I know this quarantine is difficult on everybody, right? And and I think you need to go get checked, bro. Go get you. Go get checked by your doctor. I think you're showing signs of uh, of insanity. I uh, I'm only saying facetiously because we say that every year. Because of course we got to believe we're going to beat Utah every year. Because if you don't believe you're going to beat Utah every year, you're not a fan. You're you're just a you're an admirer. If you're a fan, you're going to believe yeah. we're going to beat Utah. Here's the thing Utah needs to not do. Don't leave freaking BYU TV on in the weight room. I hate that. I hated that about that <laughs> because you got all these you guys. You know, it's aw- that's awesome, though, man. I, it's <laughs> it like, is. It's brilliant. From my side, it's like, that is so cool. It's that brilliant. That. that is so cool. You got all these guys coming in that are new, that don't understand that, okay, they grew up hating each other. This is the team. Like, they're going to look at it like, why do we care about these guys? This is our warm-up game. Let's do, you know, whatever. So leaving that on in the weight room indoctrinates all the newcomers is brilliant. It's brilliant. But if you were to take that factor emotion out of there, uh, I think the fact that Utah does scale it back a little bit, drop, you know, a little bit of a drop down. And then the fact that BYU, I don't think they're going to regress. I think they're going to take, uh, they'll either be the same or take a little step forward. Uh, being that point, September 3rd, it's possible. This is in Rice Stadium, right? We're in Salt Lake City next. It's possible that that stadium is going to be empty and it'll be weird. And it'll be one of the first That's games crazy, these dude. people have ever played with nobody yelling and cheering where it'll feel like a practice. It'll be a weird vibe. And you know what? When you're on a nine game losing skid, you welcome chaos. You say, if anything's going to be weird or disruptive, bring it on. We want this to feel weird so that we can catch them off guard and have it be a weird game where BYU is going to just be like up 42 to seven and they'll score a touchdown and there'll be like three moms clapping and that'll be it. <laughs> Dude, that actually, when you said that, it like, it like hurt my heart thinking about it. Like I can't imagine a game going on where fans aren't allowed. That just sucks. You know? Yeah. I hope against hope that some, that something pops up here that, 
that ex- that accelerates the recovery and flattens the curve quickly, and we can get back to because, dude, we need sports now more than ever. It is the one thing this has taught. Well, one of the things this has taught me is, dude, sports is an awesome diversion. You know, yeah, real life is hard. Financial situations, life, it's just hard, dude. And sports is a good um, detra- it distracts you from that. You can take your mind off it for a couple hours and cheer for a game, and not having it sucks. Yeah. So I hope against hope that my favorite sport, that the one I live for, is is still here in the fall because without it, it's been way hard, man. Yeah, I think a lot of our listeners are, are going to be like, kind of watch this the way I watch this, and and that is. Okay, I came home, I believe it was a Wednesday, said, all right, you know, me being in my weird time zone, it's like, all right, Jazz have been playing for two quarters, let me turn the game on and see how they're doing. And I turned the game on, and it's like, it says delayed on my NBA TV app, or my NBA whatever, League Pass. I'm like, delayed? What? And then I go on my phone, and I find out, okay, this is what happened. They just, like, paused the game, and, and officials ran out of the court last second to delay it. And then next thing you know, Rudy Gobert confirmed has coronavirus. So I immediately texted my wife, said, Rudy has coronavirus, because she was running around, like, getting stuff at the store. And so, and so she's hilarious. She writes back and says, what? But he's so tall. You know, like, she's, she's joking. <laughs> she's not an idiot. Like, it was just a funny reaction. Yeah. Um, but then, like, that was, in my mind, the first domino. And I know I've watched enough of the news to know that wasn't the first domino. But for many of our listeners, for us that love sports, that made this real. And then everything happened. And, and here's the thing I have to point out. You're a business owner. I'm a business owner. It hurts. <laughs> like, it hurts to have to close your doors or to, to tell your employees, I've got no money to pay you with. I mean, this is a stressful, hard, sucky thing. But it makes it infinitely easier knowing that the NBA made the same decision already. Because, I mean, I've got 12 employees that I love and care about. They're great. I don't have the NBA volumes of employees. That had to have been a tough decision, saying we're going to protect yeah. our personnel, we're going to protect our players, and we're going to protect the fans. The fact that they made that decision made it easier for me to make my decisions. I mean, immediately we said, all right, here's our new protocol. This is what we're going to do to keep everybody safe. You know, we're going to like rearrange our waiting room, have people wait in their cars. We're going to do things that are weird to keep people safe. And then when the governor says, no, you can't see patients anymore, it's easier to accept. And so watching this unfold yeah. and, and watching Sports Center all, I, mean, I, was glued, I wasn't glued to CNN because when Rudy Gobert tests positive, you're glued to Sports Center. And Sports Center talked about it all day. And they talked about it all the next day. And the next day after that, I was following this through the lens of a sports fan. And, and that's how I related. And everybody has their own way to kind of observe what's going on. Initially, for me, that first week, this hit me as a sports fan first. And it made everything else make sense. Yep. Yep. And no, dude. And you're right. It's, it's weird because like you look at this, this is, this is the biggest life altering moment of our lives. Right. But it's, it's happened slowly where you look at like nine 11, that was an in your face, bam, your life has changed. It's just shocking. And so you're just shocked. Whereas this is slowly rolled out. Okay. They're, they're talking about maybe not having fans at the NCAA tournament games. Okay. They're maybe talking about and all of a sudden, NBA stops. Oh crap! Hopefully, we can get through this. People can get better. All of a sudden, business stops. It's just it's just a slow roll. It's like this this affects us more than anything that's ever happened. Right. But it's been like slow motion happening, like day after day, something new where you don't realize. Like if this all happened at once, you woke up one morning. Hey, everyone's sick. There's this disease. Everyone stay home. Your business is shut down. The NBA stopped. It'd be like much more shocking. Yeah. But it's just been it's been it's been just so weird. But dude, I, I hope that. 
gosh, I hope against hope that we can get back to it because sports is needed, man. It is it needed. Oh, it is. It plus, I mean, our, our podcast about our podcast about just common sense would get old really quick. <laughs> you know, we need we need the sports. Here's another tangent. I was out like the last three or four nights. The Aurora has been super active, which I love the the way for if I'm going to be selfish for a minute. I've been way too busy with my real job to be out taking pictures at night this year. And so everything came together perfectly. I don't have to wake up in the morning because I'm not I'm seeing like two patients a day and they're at noon and the uh, the skies have been clear and the Aurora has been active. So I've been staying out. In fact, I woke up right before we started recording. I've been out late all night. And one of the coolest things, if you've never done this, you have to do this sometime. Coast to Coast AM. Are you familiar with Coast to Coast AM? No, but I will listen as you explain. Okay, if you if you find yourself on a road trip, and I don't even know what time they come on or go off the air, I just know it's it's always at a time when you think nobody should be on the air right now. It's the middle of the night, and you're driving like on the freeway from San Bernardino to where to Las Vegas or somewhere. You can listen to Coast to Coast AM, and they're live, and they have people calling in, and they talk about the weirdest stuff. They talk about aliens, <laughs> they talk about ghosts, they talk about uh, they were they were talking about the Skinwalker Ranch the other night. And so it's, it's, I don't know why I do this to myself. You listen to all kinds of spooky stuff on the radio and then I get out and I march around in the woods all by myself with a camera (laughs) and there are noises. There are noises. Three nights ago, I was on this highway and I've got this picture is beautiful that I got. I'm in the middle of the road and I was trying to get it to where the Northern lights were framed just right between the trees and on the highway. So I was driving until that happened. So as soon as that happened, I'm like, all right, I'm parking and pulling over. I'm setting up my camera, standing on the middle of this highway because it's Alaska. It's 3 a.m. Nobody's going to be driving on the highway so I can take pictures in the middle of the highway. As soon as I get out of the Jeep, I hear this blood curdling scream like a half mile away, like this woman was being murdered. And so I'm all by myself. Cell service is gone. Like I've been out of cell service for the past 10 minutes and I'm witnessing this murder. I'm just like, oh my goodness, what do I do? And then I took off my, uh, my beanie and my uh, balaclava. It's like the ninja mask for wintertime. And so I can like have my ear, like hear it better. And so a little bit of time goes and there's like this weird mix of these like, like halfway between a dog and a chicken. If you imagine a dog and chicken sound mixing, it's like a, a, a like chicken going buck, 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 but like at a dog's levels of volume and aggression. And then the scream again. But then it was like this time it was a little more clear that this wasn't a human. This was coming from either a wolf or a dog or a coyote. But it didn't make any sense to me. But then the, as time went on, I was like, all right, I'm way out in an area where people are raising their, their dogs like sled dogs. Like if you're going to run, this is, this is a big tangent, but this is a good one, right? If, if you're going to do the Iditarod and other dog sledding things, you don't just need the 10 or 15 dogs to be your sled dogs. You need like 50 dogs because they're, they're, you're going to be raising them. They're going to be old. They're going to be training the other dogs. And so there's a lot of places out there with just tons and tons of Alaskan Huskies. And that's got to be what it was, was somewhere off in the distance of the 50 dogs, two of them were fighting or who knows what was going on. Anyway, stepping out of the Jeep, I thought for sure I'd step straight into an X-Files episode. Anyway. Coming all the so way. Did you ever find out what it was? No, but it kept going. Like I, I hung out there all by myself uh, for about ten minutes, getting these pictures, and it was pretty periodic. About every twenty seconds, it would happen again. It was a. Uh, I'm gonna go. You know what? Uh, this for all the talk about you can be the person dancing goofy and and not be ashamed. I'm gonna make the sounds. Okay. So the first yes. sound was a, uh, and then it was followed up. <laughs> it was followed up by a, you know, like. And it would do that, and then 20 <laughs> seconds would go by. 
And then once again, it'd be like a wow, you know. And it, but it was two different. <laughs> it wasn't the same animal. Like I know there was multiple animals involved. Like the first one, and then the second one. It, it was just. It was. It seriously was about a half a mile away. Like it was echoing through the woods and everything. Like wow, crazy. dude, that's creepy, bro. Yeah. That's creepy. So that was one of the more extreme. But then a lot of the times. Um, you know, the wind will blow, a twig will snap, something like a squirrel will be doing something. Like, there's just noises. There's just noises all around. And that's one of the freakiest things of trying to be a photographer all by yourself in the middle of Alaska in the middle of the night. Like, it gets to you. And sometimes, sometimes my imagination, I freak myself out. Like, people have legit, like, UFO stuff experiences. And it's like, oh, man, I'm not in a good position to be abducted right now. Anyway, um, coast to coast AM, if you're into that kind of stuff, and some <laughs> of you will know, because if you're driving, it'll keep you entertained for hours with just the craziest people calling in and sharing their theories and sharing their stories. Well, of course, this week they're talking about what everybody's talking about. So just last night I'm listening, and this guy called in. And this is where it gets dangerous, because some people really believe these conspiracy theories. And it like they start thinking, OK, coronavirus was invented by big pharma and this is why here's all the reasons it makes sense and the more you listen to it you're like whoa this guy's he's the only one that's got it figured out and he's right anyway he was saying imagine a world by the end of the year where to get on a subway you have to show your vaccination card you know of course his agenda is saying of course this was big pharma they're promoting their vaccines and that's why they invented this and i'm i'm not giving any credence at all to that whatsoever that does not hold weight that's not like we know through the wet markets how this virus came about we know this virus is in animals like the real science disproves it this guy's a whack job that's not how it happened however that second part it may be that to get back to live sporting events we have to somehow prove i'm not infectious or i've already had it and i've recovered i'm not infectious or i've been vaccinated i'm not going to catch it and die and it wouldn't surprise me at all like byu stadium is like 30% 30% full of people who are 90 or older, I, I don't want them to go, you know, yeah. unless we've got some cure and you can't really cure a virus, but unless there's something that's going to guarantee hundred percent their safety, stay home. You know, this may change the yeah. demographics of who leaves their house forever. Yeah, dude, it's, it's uh it's life altering. It's life changing. And I am grateful we were able to get to that point through your story of and screams and screeches. <laughs> that, that was, dude, that, that story epitomizes our podcast because it's a football podcast, but we go off on tangents at just, you know, to pull the curtain back. We don't have any like pre-production meeting or notes <laughs> or anything. We call each other and we say, let's go. And generally we fill an hour really well with never stopping. Right. Right. And that's a perfect example. Cause we go off on tangents like that. And that was, dude, that's payoff, bro. If someone listens to this podcast and makes it all the way to an hour and 20 minutes, which we're at now, <laughs> They'll have had the reward of hearing you squeal like a murder dog. <laughs> For sure. No, that, that story was like 95% set up to make a, a stupid little point of, what if we have to show cards to get into the stadium? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's what makes us different, bro. And that's what makes us the, the, the pragmatic podcast, the voices of reason. Yeah. And I think, that, I think that's an excellent place to end. Um, cause it's, plus it's already been an hour and 20 minutes. If anyone's still listening, Hey, it's, it's my wife or your wife. And that's basically, I, I just it, had so. this thought Look, people listen to podcasts when they're driving. Nobody's driving anywhere. No one's going to listen to this. This has all just been for us. Did, <laughs> well, yeah, true, true. But everyone's, everyone's quarantined. Maybe they're bored as can be. It's a little listen. If, if you are listening to this part, the end of this episode right now, tweet at us and we will shout you out next episode because I, I want to know who's made it this far with us. Thank you. We and love we'll you. Give you a, we'll, 
We'll give you a 10% discount on any North and Gold swag. <laughs> hey, we should do that. <laughs> As well. We should. Yeah. All right, bro. Well, let's, let's hopefully we can be, you know, we th- that's the problem. We don't know when the next podcast will be because there's no end date inside. But hopefully next podcast will be right before fall camp and we can start our next season and preview the season and actually talk about football. We miss you all. Go Utes. Stay safe. Go Cougars.